Strong Enough merch is now available. Go to strongenoughpod.com and see all the things that you can get to show your strong enough pride, as well as remind people and yourself that you are strong enough and you are worth it. Welcome to the Strong Enough Podcast, where we talk about the challenges and celebrate the triumphs of people from all walks of life. I'm your host, Claudia. Today's guest is going to talk about how she is a literal phoenix risen from the ashes. She's going to share about some of the traumas that she experienced and how she has been able to reframe her past and move forward in a very positive way. Please help me welcome Terry Banner. Terry, how are you today? Oh, so great. So great just to be here. It really and truly is. I want to tell the people who are listening and cannot see us right now that you are amazing. You look gorgeous today. I love the green. I love the red hair. Um, You are just fiery. Yes. And you are just a breath of spring and sunshine, I would say. Are you feeling like that today? Not really. But with with me, I can fake it. (laughs) You know, I feel like a lot of us have learned to fake it um, throughout our lifetime for various reasons. And I think we might talk about that a little bit. But before we do, I would love it if you would share a little bit about yourself with the audience. Okay. Um, I've got quite a journey. And so I will try to simplify it for you. I am going into my, I'm a writer. So I am going into, I don't age, obviously. I'm going into my 74th chapter of my life. So I'm looking forward to all these empty pages that I'll be able to to fill up with all kinds of things that I don't have any idea what's going to happen to me. I'm originally from British Columbia, Canada, and I moved down to the States to be with my brother after he got out of Vietnam, then ended up in California. And for about 10 years, it was my doomsday time. That was the time of choosing wrong people, being abused, um, but then waking up, my um, milestone was turning 40. Claudia, it was like I woke up in the, in the morning going, I'm 40. I don't know how to drive a car. I don't have a steady job. And all the men are looking for younger girls. I better start doing something with my life. So I went back to school. And became what was known at that time a re-entry student. So I went back to college and got absolutely addicted to education and fell in love with sociology. I fell in love with literature, psychology, career counseling. Then I graduated valedictorian with my master's degree. And that was another milestone in my life. And just continued on with teaching with education, special education, Um, I was with a man with two boys with fetal alcohol syndrome, so I was able to raise them and take classes on that. Um, Did so much with uh, counseling women. That was started to become my main focus. After I retired, I um, was the head of independent study to help people who couldn't, you know, finish high school and helping women with children to get their degree. And I used to meet them at coffee shops, bars, anything to get them 
to graduate. And then I retired fully, felt wonderful, moved up on the way up to Paradise, California. Then my fiance had a major heart attack. We got up there, fixed up the home. My mother fell, had a broken hip up in Canada. So I went up there, came back, had coffee on our beautiful porch that we just renovated. I looked out at the sky and saw a little bit of red. I thought, oh, okay, there's a fire somewhere. I went to work with all these kids I was substituting. Major fire, we got evacuated, and that's when the whole town of Paradise burnt down. So I spent the whole day on a bus with school children escaping the flames. And that became my mantra after that was I had to lose everything to gain everything. And you commented on my red hair. Well, I am truly the phoenix, you know, coming out of the ashes, who I was before is buried in those ashes. And so after that, we moved down here and I write articles, I write books, and I do everything to help out other people. And that's where I'm at right now. I'm still publishing books. I have to start with your 74 chapters because I have a knack on this show for grabbing great guests who are vampires. And clearly that is you as well, because there is no way that there are 74 chapters in your book, Harry. At all. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm just letting that soak in for a minute because I can already see the comment section filling up going, what? No way. <laughs> she is not. I'm not buying that. So you look amazing. Absolutely amazing. I would like to talk a little bit about you going back to school at the age of 40, because for a lot of people, that would be too late. You know, they would look at themselves mm -hmm. and say, it's too late for me. I'm just, I'm stuck with what I have. I can't start anything new. I can't learn anything new. So what gave you the confidence to go back to school at an age where a lot of people would say, what are you doing? Oh, okay. That is my topic for my series of chapters for my next book called, are you ready? I got class. Now, my first chapter is lack of confidence. Totally the opposite. I did not have the confidence, okay? What I did was I had these visions of being a writer. So the college, the local college was about 10 miles away. And I found out they had a basic writing class. Well, I couldn't drive. So I had to have my fiance drive me there. And I threw up all the way there. I got to class and Claudia, it was horrible. The whole classroom was filled. So I had to go and sit in the middle of the class. Then I found out I was in the wrong class. It was a basic grammar class, which I could have had in sixth grade. But I was so nervous because, you know, everybody's going to stare at me as I walked out of the room so I couldn't leave. And I thought, I've got nothing better to do this summer. I might as well just take this class and I know I can ace it. And then about halfway through the class, Miss Walker 
had written on the board. She was trying to teach us about the new rule of the comma. So she wrote tomorrow, comma, tomorrow, comma, and tomorrow. Well, there's me. My mouth opened and in a very loud voice. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And then I just sunk into my seat. I was so embarrassed. She took me aside and said, you've got that gleam in your eye. You're addicted to education and reading. I'm giving you to this counselor. And we got together and he said, you are a re-entry student. You've got what it takes. History teachers love you because you've, you've been through the history. So then I noticed in the cafeteria, they're getting ready for homecoming. But Claudia, there was so much apathy. Nobody seemed interested. So I said, wouldn't it be great if we had a grandpa and grandma homecoming? Because a lot of, you know, the people at my table were older and had grandkids. So I started up a club called the Rascals, the re-entry adult um, students and learning society. So we all wore our red jackets and helped out other people that were coming through school and did fundraisers for the daycare. And I was just a real rebel browser, but it all came and I never felt confident, even when I went for my master's degree. When they called my name, I was waiting for them to say, whoops, there's some mistake here. You don't belong in this class. But I stayed it out. <laughs> you know, what you just talked about reminds me a lot of imposter syndrome. And that, yes, that is Thank something you. absolutely I have struggled with for a lot of my life. And I like to think that I have finally kicked it, but it has taken a minute, Terry, to do that. So what would you say was a turning point for you in kicking or at least tamping down imposter syndrome? Okay, I got the phone call in my master's program um, that it was unanimous that I got the valedictorian, the first time unanimous decision for a two-year program. So I walked into my professor's office and I said, I don't, I don't understand this. Every time I've been in class, you ignore me or you praise somebody else, but you don't praise me. And then she looked at me and said, but you're such an excellent student. You don't need it. And I looked at her and I said, bullshit. Think of what I could have done if you would have said, Terry, you're on the right track. Terry, you're doing great. That's all I would have needed. And then I went out to prove everybody wrong and then just kept on going. So, gosh, as you look back, do you think that kind of being ignored or not being praised and pushed actually fueled your fire to do even better? Yes, because it, it stirred up my, my anger. Yeah. And then I'm joining... Um, I'm a major part of AAUW, American Association of University of Women, and looking at how women have been ignored, you know, in classes, 
and going on. And even with my name, TK Banner, there's a, re there's a couple of reasons for using that. One was if you write letters of complaints, if you put down a female name, they won't take you seriously. But if you put the initials, they think you're a man and they will respond to you. And have you seen that? Yes. In your own experience. Oh, yes. That's that's very interesting. Would you say, because you're still claiming that you have 74 years, uh, <laughs> so we're just going to pretend that that's true. Have you seen a change in how women are treated or how they impact different things in that time? Is it getting better or do we just pretend that it is? Hmm. It, it's hard for me to say without, you know, the demographics, but what I've seen in well, impoverished areas where, where I was teaching, um, I, I, I've still seen girls being ignored or girls still looking for, you know, the social media, everything. And it, it it's such a shame because there's so many opportunities out there and and I get so frustrated when I'm trying to elevate girls because they have everything online that they can be doing to learn but there are women out there making a change so yeah i mean we are doing what we can right yes. now i would definitely oh, yes. say I want to talk to you a little bit about online and social media. I had an interesting conversation today with somebody who had some guests over, and this person uh, is about your age, and her guests were uh, teenagers, and she said she could barely get a word in because they spent their entire visit on their phones and just looking down, and when she mm -hmm. could get a response, you know, it was a, yeah, I don't know. You know, there there was no substance. So have you noticed with cell phones and the prevalence of the information that we have at our fingertips and the ability to lock the world out, do you think there is kind of a dumbing down where we're not getting as well educated and we're not able to converse as well with one another in person because of that? Oh, this has been my fight for so many years, like with the classroom and independent study and the college and noticing this. And one of the things I'm really afraid of, and, and this is a really big fear in my life, is when I was growing up, there was an expression that we used for safety. It was the hair on the back of my neck is standing up. It was a sign. When I talked about that to my college students when I was teaching sociology, they had no idea what I was talking about. And I said, no. I said, you're on the phone. You meet somebody that they tell you they own hotels. They're rich. They're this. They're, they're whatever. And you believe them. And by the time you meet them, you trust them. You're losing the ability to discern evilness in a person. You know, we used to rely on body language, a certain twitch, an eye movement, a shoulder movement. That's out the window now with the cell phones. And all this time on the phones, yeah, 
it just it really bothers me because the face-to-face communication that we're talking about is is almost out the window it's so interesting that you say that from a safety perspective because i guess a lot of people have either lost or never had the opportunity to gain that intuition or that ability as you said to spot evil or mm-hmm. detect when something you know is awry so how do we teach a generation something that they that they have no idea about they they don't even understand because they don't know what it's like to not even have a cell phone yeah um the problem right now is it's an addiction and even trying to take a cell phone away from somebody the anger and I, and I've had students almost hitting me but what I have done is I think you'll like this I used to teach two classes sexuality classes and marriage in the family and so what I would do is one of my exercises and most of my students hated it but they had to do it they had to write a eulogy for somebody that they loved and the other person had to do it for them and they had to talk about what are my favorite colors what are my aspirations? What are my failures? Um, there was a whole list of questions. And some of them would come in and say, I got it all wrong, or I don't know my husband. And so I would do so many exercises of who am I? Because we've got no right even to get in a relationship with somebody if we don't know what our values are. We want to get married and have children. What's going to happen if I don't I can't have children. What about religion? All these things that we don't think about outside of the sex. So all of those things out of the cell phone and getting people to discuss things and being uncomfortable with it. It's okay to be uncomfortable. That is definitely where a lot of people struggle, but I know it's somewhere that you thrive. I believe that one of the things that you used to despise was public speaking. And, you know, it was definitely not your favorite. And there's that joke that, uh, and I'm I'm probably going to mess it up a little bit, but like (laughs) if, uh, if you have to either pick giving a eulogy at a funeral or being the one in the casket (laughs) that like a higher percentage will pick the casket because they're that terrified to speak publicly. So what drove you to address that fear and conquer it? Well, if I wanted to help people, you have to do this. Now, I was taking a speech class and I sweat profusely. And I thought, I'm going to look so sophisticated. I had long hair and I put it up and I put these nice earrings on with little, little balls. And I had a beautiful suit on. Well, when I had the video, it was absolutely hilarious. I stood behind the podium and all you could say, see were two skinny legs, you know, shaking, going up and down, earrings that were going like this. My head bowed, so all you could see were the black roots. My hair was blonde. 
So I learned, I said, okay, I'm going to combat this. So I learned to pace. I learned to walk back and forth on the stage and then pause and grab my water. And then when I got into a large audience, I would say, how many of you are nervous about being here? And they raised their hands and I said, so good. Oh, thank you, because I'm so scared to be up here. And I used to stutter. Now, if I stutter over a word, please don't laugh at me. It's very rude. So sure enough, I'd stutter and they'd laugh and I'd make a joke about it. But it loose, loosens the tension. And But like anything else, Claudia, you use the word strong. If we want to help, we have to be strong. We have to overcome. How can we help out other people if we don't face our own demons? You are so right about that. I want to talk about another instance of you being incredibly strong, and that is when you lost everything in that fire. I can't imagine going through something like that what was it like, you know, to see that glimmer of red and think there's a fire somewhere? And then, you know, just a short time later to know that, yes, there was, yes, there is. And it's taking everything that I have. Um, the whole, well, it was just absolutely, I had to go through counseling for such a long time because, you know, escaping the flames and being on the school bus with the children. And it was something else. But that night, the realization, I mean, I used to be such an absolute clothes horse. I mean, I had matching outfits from the earrings, the hats, the shoes, the jewelry. Oh, I had, I had everything. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, that night, before we found a place to stay, we walked into Walmart. Toiletries, bra, panties, toothbrush, and looking at this little sack going, this is all I own. And then two days later, finding out that our house was destroyed. And what got me was, okay, I'd lost everything. But then on my phone, I'm an avid reader. I had all my books on my phone from Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra, Miguel Ruiz, Bruce Lee. All my teachers were on the phone. And I remembered Deepak Chopra saying, knowledge is useless unless it's applied. And I thought, wow. So my counselor said, you put all your fears, your anxiety in your journals. Let's put them into a book. And that's what helped me, again, to help other people. I used my books to help out other people who were victims. And I'm not a victim. I'm a survivor. But, yeah, have to lose everything to gain everything. And remember, too, it's not what happens to us that causes stress. It's how we define it. I and love that. That is such a great perspective because, you know, again, so many people in your situation would have just crumbled and maybe you did crumble for a minute, mm -hmm. but you had the strength and the the wherewithal to climb back up. And I mean, I feel like you're probably still a clothes horse because I see a super cute outfit, at least what I can see. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, fun one, yeah. 
what was it like deciding to go to therapy? Because that's another hot button for a lot of people is admitting that they need help and then taking a step to actually get that help. So what led you to that decision? Well, when you have the nightmares because of the, like being on the school bus, thank goodness I was with special ed children and, you know, putting the coats over them and everything so they couldn't see the flames, but hearing the screams of the people and the propane tanks. Anyway, it was, you know, the nightmares and then my own physician, because I'm I'm a health nut and I refuse to go through antidepressants. And I mean, he said, okay, let's give you antidepressants. And I said, why? I'm, you know, it's legitimate. I'm supposed to be depressed right now. Let me get through the feelings. But then it was, you know, you're going to need help to weave your way through this. And I'm smart enough to know that it's either that or the pills. And I refuse to take the pills. What would you say? is the biggest lesson that you learned about yourself in going through that trauma and coming out the other side? Is the fact that, and I, I joke, but it, it really is no joke, that I am literally Phoenix rising up from the ashes, that, Claudia, I have got nothing to lose. But the irony of all that, even before the fire, I had nothing to lose. It's, it's, it's just a totally different, mindset of what's important in life and everything in life right now like as I say is free which I've got on my website I mean my nature walks and everything else and it even helped me after that when I thought I was losing my mind with my eyesight and found out it was an aneurysm in my brain (laughs) yeah was that stress related or something that came from stress or trauma or just we've got we've got no idea all I know is I was getting massive headaches and you know seeing double and I refused to just go out and get glasses so I fought and I fought so I ended up writing an article I ain't crazy it's all in my head (laughs) so I went in because it was ready to burst so I went in and had this interesting coiling procedure which is fascinating so now I've got all these little coils in my head so (laughs) but you know it's it's all these things that um it's called reframing when I look at something and I go oh my gosh like okay my mom falling breaking her hip and I had to look after her reframe it I got to do that for my mother wow wasn't that great yeah I did this with the fire but I was able to help out other people you reframe your past I love that you mentioned that because one of the things that I have talked about in recent weeks is people telling themselves or writing those negative stories. Instead, when it would be just as easy to write a positive version, but we just seem to default to the negative. We imagine the worst case scenario for somebody who has been through some really heavy shit and could very easily be justified in writing some negative stories, what gives you the ability to continue to write it in such a positive way and reframe it in that way? Claudia, what choice do I have? 
really. I mean, again, I'm approaching my 74th chapter. I want it to be filled with joy. There is, oh, I'm, I'm right into right now the Netflix movie with um, the Dalai Lama, who if you're ever depressed, just turn on and listen to him giggle. I mean, you'll be happy for four days straight. Anyway, he's doing this whole thing on, on joy. And he's with Tutu of Africa. Of course, he's since died. But they had a scientist on there who proves that those people who go out and help out other people and do what we're doing, oh, guess what? It leads to longevity in life. It leads to better health. It leads to better mental health. I mean, what? A there is no choice, Claudia. Isn't this how we're supposed to be living our life with his spirit leads us to joy? I wish that more people had that attitude. I believe that it can happen. Why do you think there are so many people who choose to write that negative story? Because that's all they know. When you're looking, okay, you and I have both, you worked with people in abusive relationships or because that's all they know. And they're, a, we are trained to fear the unknown. And we don't recognize our own strength. Okay, one of my books that I wrote is called Untie the Knot and Cannot. And it goes through how we are socialized to believe we can't do things. And we need to be turning that around, that we can do things. But if we believe we can't, we're stuck. And it's, and it's just, and then there's a payoff. Remember, for every behavior, there's a payoff for it. So even if you're sick all the time or you can't hold down your job, what is your payoff? You get sympathy. Nobody expects anything of you. And you don't have to go out there. I mean, this takes strength and courage to do what we're doing. And a lot of people can't do that. I want to talk a little bit more about your books, because I know that you you write them to help other people. How cathartic, though, has it been for you to go through the writing process and produce some amazing work that you know is going to make a difference in other people's lives. Okay, the first book, Phoenix Rising from the Ashes, of course, coming out of my journal. And then my readers wanted this, you know, more information. So I wrote um, Smoldering Embers of Paradise. So, of course, that helped me through that and, and plus counseling other people. So that helped that. And then I got the idea because I, when I was teaching um, sociology, I was looking at all the impacts on our life from birth. So that's when I decided to write Untie the Knot and Cannot. And what I did was I wrote it in third person, but it was really about myself, about my mother, how she brought me up, my father, um, different teachers, social media, culture all of these different things. And that really helped me reframe my life of thinking, oh my God, excuse me, I'm on the pity pod here. You know, but this is what happens to us. So if we don't know any better. Now, then my my last book, that was my baby. 
uh, best friends. I wanted to celebrate women's courage from the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s and celebrate them. I spent two years of nothing but research of what women did and found out their stories. Um, they had women on horseback, you know, delivering books up in the mountains during during the Depression. You know, the pack horse librarians. I didn't know any of those things and knowing different things about Eleanor Roosevelt. But it was my baby because before I died, I was going to write my historical novel. I was going to do this. And now I finished another one, which I'm going to get published. So, yeah, it um, and it was the idea, Claudia. I've got another article called She Did, because my motto is I don't want to be sitting in my rocking chair when I'm 85 going, oh, I wish I'd have gone back to school. Oh, I wish I'd have done this. No. I want on my on my tombstone to say she did, and that was best friends. She did. I did it. I love that because I even look back, and you know there are things that I wish I had done or wish had been done differently. But at the same time, I know that everything that happened brought me to this place and yes. to what I'm able to do now. So is there anything looking back that you just wish you had one shot at that you haven't yet done? Oh my gosh. Oh, oh no, that, that's really, <laughs> um, you know what? No, I can actually say that I have been going out and doing what what I want to do. I I'm try, trying more and more to get out of my comfort zone. I'm even writing a blog now which I've never done before. Just trying out different things and who knows what I'll be doing next year. I've got no idea and I don't care because I'm living in the present. How how empowering and how amazing is it to be able to say that, you know, because again, so many people just sit by the wayside and, and don't get out there. They don't get out of their comfort zone because it's easy to just stay here, even if I'm not happy. So how great is it for you to be able to say, yeah, I'm doing some crazy stuff. I like it. I'm getting out of my comfort zone. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, there's this woman that lives in this community. Her name's Stacy. And I just met her and I said, oh, my God, I want to be your best friend. She has different parties of, um, oh, trivia parties and, and a party of people would bring over the foods that they ate when they were kids. And she makes up these different things and dances all over the place and doesn't care. And I'm thinking, that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be this 85-year-old hippie dancing around and flowing and playing with the music. It's wonderful. I want to come to one of these parties. These sound I amazing. Know. I know, huh? <laughs> be young forever. Yes. Yes. Tell me, what is one of the craziest out-of-your-comfort-zone things that you've done? Oh, my gosh. Well, the one thing with, with the rascals. Um, oh, I've done so many. <laughs> I love it. 
<laughs> I mean, when I was working at uh, Cal State uh, San Bernardino, uh, they had built a new career center. And so they were having, you know, an opening day party. So I put yellow footsteps all over the campus of um, follow the yellow brick road going there. And just just doing spontaneous things. That's what I that's exactly what I love to do. Like and and just starting up the rascals, that was just so much fun. My favorite movie is The Wizard of Oz. So you're speaking to me right there with the yellow brick road. One of the cool uh quotes from that movie that I have mentioned before is you had the power all along, my dear. Yes. Do you think that we can get women and men, I guess we'll let them in on it too, to truly start believing that for themselves, that the power truly is within us to make things happen for ourselves? Oh my gosh, you and I are so on the on the same wavelength. I have taken movies and stories and put them into my teaching. And when I was teaching primary grades, I would use that of stories of three little kids in the classroom that were shy or an overeater or something. And I would do that with them. They'd be the characters in there. They would be the heroes. But we have to start when it's young. Like from South Pacific, we're carefully taught to hate before we're six or seven or eight. And that's all about our socialization. We have to use the vocabulary and telling everybody that we are okay. We're more than okay. And it's okay to go out there. And I used to tell my students, why was, is there an eraser at the end of a pencil? You know, because we're supposed to make mistakes. You know, a lot of people call that failing forward because it's not I mean, it is a mistake, but if you learn something from it, then it just becomes part of your story and then part of what helps you become successful. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely. There was um, a true story. It was a movie in the 1970 called the Marva Collins story. And she would take all these kids from the projects and kids that were failing, kids that were supposed to have an IQ of 88. And she put on the board, welcome to success. And she just believed in all these children. And like I say, a true story where she had all these kids doing 12th grade work by the, you know, six and seven and eight year olds doing this because they didn't know any different because she believed in them. And that that's my true inspiration. If And, and when I watched that movie, I used to teach all these long vocabulary words to young kids. They didn't know they were difficult. They were I was just spouting them out so they would, you know, repeat them and know what they meant because they expected it of them. I think that is fantastic and it's a great way to teach people. I want you to put on your teaching hat for a second. Um or your <laughs> fedora or your your visor, you know, whatever head accoutrement that you would like. And I would like for you to give advice to those people who say they want to step out of their comfort zone. They want to get a little uncomfortable. 
but they're scared. Teach them real quick to get out of that comfort zone. I am so glad you're scared. I am so glad that obviously you've been pondering this because the first step with everything is called disease. Now, I'm not talking about disease like the flu, which we've had, but disease is D-I-S hyphen E-A-S-E, which means out of whack. There's something going on in you that doesn't feel comfortable. It's making you uncomfortable. It's making you ill at ease. That is such a wonderful sign. Do not fight it. That's a sign that something has got to give. It's like a shift. And the second sign that goes along with this is awareness. You are aware of this. And so that goes into starting in with journalizing. You start rambling. You start taking time for yourself and start putting your thoughts on paper. Thinking about your dreams as a child, did you want to draw? Sing. When was the last time you sang? When was the last time you had a good belly laugh? Thinking about those different things and thinking about, you know what? I'm okay. I can take these baby steps. I can do this. There doesn't have to be. I don't have to climb the 50 steps of the ladder. Nobody's asking me to do that. But I can do two steps and I can pat myself on the shoulder for doing it. So it's the beginning of a shift. How important is it for us to do that, patting ourselves on the shoulder after the first step or two? Because I think so many people think they have to get to the grand finale, the finish line, you know, whatever it is, before they can congratulate themselves. Taking that first step is the most courageous step you'll ever take. And if you don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. Give yourself a big hug, a bubble bath, something to do it. But congratulate yourself every single step okay spooky on the way yeah there there's a book called simple steps and it, and it is absolutely fantastic that we just have to do that if i can i can take one step today well next week i can take two steps and i can take three but the whole thing is being gentle with yourself nurturing yourself congratulating yourself and logging it down and then you're going to have two or three days where you don't do anything. You're not a failure. Okay, I can get up and I can go back to one step again. And it's fine. Nobody's, you know, looking at us or judging us. I love it. So I want everybody listening and watching to think about that one first step that they can take towards something meaningful in their lives. Terry, I want to switch gears with you real quick before I let you go. As you know, I very much love tattoos. 
Um, because I will never get tattoos on my neck or face. You cannot see any of my tattoos today because I do have on long sleeves. Now, I know that you don't have any tattoos. However, I believe that you should get one and it should be of a phoenix. And if you do that, I have the perfect person for you. <laughs> however, I know that you have a pretty cool tattoo related story from your time as a career counselor. And I would love it if you would share that with us. Oh, when I was the most uptight, white, middle-class, perfect career counselor with all my expectations of my students. So I came to the point in my wonderful career class on interviews. Now, when you go to an interview, one must dress appropriately. Men must wear their white shirts and their black pants and, you know, no piercings. So this was the time of the piercings of the mouth and the nose. And, and so, of course, I had one young man in his T-shirts and, you know, full sleeved and, and the piercing and his hair every which way. Okay. So gently, very gently, I said to him, now, when you come in, you know, to be dressed appropriately, well, come next week, people came in and they were sharing their stories. And he came in with his t-shirt and jeans and piercings. And I went, oh, and he looked at me and slid his contract in front of me. He had gone down to Beverly Hills. He didn't stop at little places in California. Oh, no, not for him. He went into the swankiest tattoo parlor and showed off his tattoos and his ideas and got himself a fantastic job dressed just with all of his tattoos. And boy, did it ever teach me a lesson. It was fabulous. And I, I told him, I said, see, if I hadn't have pushed you, you wouldn't have rebelled. And he said, you have to take credit for that. And I says, oh, hell yes. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Clearly, you <laughs> were the motivator and the driving force behind this. So right. you, you still get the credit for that one. Yeah. <laughs> But I loved, I loved seeing him do the pride in his face and just, and then the conversation just took off at the table. I mean, I lost control because all the other students wanted to hear all the stories and they were fascinating stories about his tattoos and why he got them and why they were designed. So it was, it was fabulous. What would you say was the, the biggest thing that you learned out of that? Oh my gosh, it, it was the, the judging that everybody is different and jobs are different. And I was coming from, again, my white middle class, that there's different jobs out there, you know, that don't require the white shirt and black <laughs> pants or the women in their suits. Yeah. I I do still judge people with face tattoos. So I will I will just put that out there. Well, my face is tattooed, by the way. My eyebrows and my okay. eyeliner and my lips. Yes. So you do have tattoos. <laughs> I had to throw that in at the end. I love it. 
Terry, Ooh. is there a chance we could get a Phoenix on you somewhere? I mean, is it is it even possible? Oh, now you're really throwing me a challenge. That <laughs> sounds like, oh, hell yes. That sounds like fun. <laughs> Excellent. We're, we're going to talk about this further later. Terry, where can people find you? So if they want to learn more about your books, if they want to snatch those up and read them, you know, cover to cover in one night, like I want to do right now, or <laughs> if they want to come on over to your friend's parties and, you know, run a theme party <laughs> with her, uh, or if they want to take you to get that Phoenix tattoo, where can they find you? <laughs> okay. Um, I do have my website. It started off as an author website. It's uh, tkbanner.com. And my latest edition, by the way, is I just had an article published, and it's called Road to Redemption, where um, a good friend of mine, she was an author, and she was dying, but she couldn't finish her book. So I had to finish it for her. So I sat with her every day for seven months. And for two and a half hours every day, writing for her for the book before she passed. So I've got that article on there. But that tells my whole story. I bear everything on that website. My books, everything, tkbanner.com. And then my email is fitzsimmonsterry at gmail.com. So, yeah. Excellent. And I'm just proud that you don't have an AOL or an earthlink.net email address. So you, yep. you are very young at heart. Terry. Oh, and then I am on Facebook under uh, Terry Banner Fitzsimmons. I'm on Facebook. A lot of neat things on there. You might be getting some friend requests. I'm just saying. Okay. That sounds cool. We can always use friends. That's right. Terry, you have been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for your time today and for sharing so much of your story and for teaching all of us a few great life lessons. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media so you'll never miss what's going on. Remember, until next week, you are strong enough and you are worth it. Thank you for listening to the Strong Enough Podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform by searching Strong Enough. And on YouTube, we're on the Spear Talk channel. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Strong Enough Pod. If you have suggestions for an upcoming episode or a future guest, please reach out at strongenoughpod at gmail.com. Remember, you are worth it.